If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Coming at you this week with uh, with who? Michael, Michael Stewart and E. Yeah, we just had him on just like a couple hours ago. We we're all messed up because of the trip again. But uh, getting back on schedule with some shows today and tomorrow should get us back in the groove. I'm ready for winter, all that sort of good stuff. But it was a good chat with Michael. He's a cool cat. We got along in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, and he's been around for ever. I mean, he's been in the psychedelic movement. Like, I saw a show with him on, uh, on with, uh, what, what's the name's bro- brother? I keep, I keep, I've told you this like three times now, and I keep forgetting his name. Dennis McKenna and, uh, and the other guy who made, who made that, uh, that ha- Haitian sort of show called. Uh, Haitian? Like Haiti people? Like Haiti voodoo, like the voodoo show um, called oh. uh, on Serpent in the Rainbow. I don't know about any of this stuff. Yeah. Oh, no. See, I, I always forget this guy's name, too. Anyways, he was on a panel with the, the old school psychedelic guys, and he, he's been around. He's been oh. around through all this stuff. But he, it's funny how he comes to some of the similar conclusions we have to certain things. Like, Yeah, because the rest of them are woke as fuck. <laughs> he doesn't Not seem to have fallen. He seems to have avoided the brainwashing. <laughs> Very much so. I got to say. Oh yeah, his website's great. It talk, it, he's got the ghost dance stuff, talking plants, the healing garden, the Amazon protocol. I mean, he was involved in like helping, helping these ancient cultures with epidemics, and um, he did a uh, he did a documentary called Yanamami, the Keepers of the Flame. Um, he was. Uh, well, I don't want to get into. I shouldn't get into. Yeah, the don't whole get into that now. now. I mean, if you guys want to skip our lazy rounds here, there's always a timestamp. In the show notes. It was a good chat with Michael. If you want to dig it, dig it. Graham's off to Saskatchewan, the Great White North. The Great White North of the Great White North. Oh, yeah. I feel, I'm going to feel safer out there. Do you? In the middle of nowhere. Minus 40. Like, who wants to come and mess with you out there? I guess. What about if the power goes out? Well, then, you know, yeah, that's it. Oh, I should probably grab that generator off you before I go. You should Shit. probably grab that generator. You should probably... uh you have a wood stove? No. Is there trees out there? Uh, yeah, there's a few, but not a lot. Hmm. It's not very foresty. No, it's still on the plains, huh? Yeah. Where the plains meet the forest is probably pretty great, too. For You know what? I did drive north a little bit. You were telling me, you were asking me about ponds. I feel like we've already talked about all this, but I mean, and then there was some beautiful drives just up north of there where it does start to get a little bit pondy and foresty and, and a little bit hilly rolling hills. So I feel like I am sort of on the edge of the plains. Kind of smack dab in the middle of Saskatchewan, really. Yeah, but there's nothing on the north half of the country, so 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it gets pretty sparse, yeah. I mean, it is, it's feel, the moving process feels like it's just a never-ending process of packing. It's almost, almost done. Yeah, I got to move, too. I think I'm going to move in the winter, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> or in the spring. It won't be bad, though. The kids can all pack up the shit. I don't have as much shit as you. You got all this weird shit, you know? Yeah. I can imagine packing up your place. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, oh, well, yeah, getting down to the bitter end. A few more days. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, your trip there. I, I missed it. The Montana Mega Floods with Randall Carlson and Bradley Young and the Snake yeah. Brothers were there and Ben was there. Of course, I missed the one with all the great co-hosts as well. Well, weren't they all at the one in the fall? Uh, ben wasn't there. Maybe Ben wasn't. <clears throat> that was good. We stayed in a in an Airbnb together too. Uh, every night except for the well, I I left early. I left Friday after lunch, and then we got rained out. So I got out even a little earlier than I expected, which didn't make a big difference. Uh, it still took me a while to get home. I went back through the valley which I think added about an hour 45 to the drive, but I wanted to really scope out that uh, radium, you know, where we're going, because I drive right through radium, and then from there to home, is ba- then I go right by the airport on the ring road, you know, so it's basically the exact exact drive for the Cat Canada that's coming up in November. And, dude, I haven't been down there in a decade. I forgot how fucking beautiful Kootenai National Park is. I mean, it's really something. The drive from from Invermere up, especially oh. from like Invermere to the number one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done that drive. Oh, actually, it's something else. You go up through Radium, and then you go through all those cliffs and shit, and then you get up to the number one, and you hit the number one like smack dab in between Lake Louise and Banff. So yeah. it, was, it was phenomenal. A phenomenal drive. And uh, it was something. Yeah, we had a great trip. We really did. Idaho is beautiful. I don't know if you've seen the picture I posted on Instagram. So is that taking that the 90, 93? That's taking the 93 all 93. the way then? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Which yeah, is I, the same as the road straight up from from Cranbrook almost. So it's, it's a bit of Actually, backtrack. it's from Whitefish. It really connects from all the way down to Whitefish, really. Yeah, but I didn't come up through Whitefish. I came up through Eureka. Is where I came out through, so I had to take the number three back over and then up. But it was, uh, it was great. It was a beautiful drive. It was, people really love it. They should really get a kick out of it. It'd be nice if there's a little dusting of snow for all that. Yeah, it's tough to say. Yeah, it's that time of year where it could go either way. It could be oh, like, it could be gorgeous, snowy. It could be gorgeous. It could be fucking minus twenty five and freezing cold the whole time. You so think it'll fun. still be fall colors or? No, I don't think so. No, it's already larching hard, dude. I was out grouse hunting yesterday with Shauna, and like uh, down in those coolies are beautiful right now. Like if you were gonna do a drive before you left, would be the like where you go down to Nanton and cut across on the five thirty two to the twenty two, and then up to Highway forty, up through Longview and around up to the number one is just. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite drives. But right now is the time to do it, like because it's like uh, still open. Because well, it closes it's open for December fifteenth, so it's open. Highway forty is still open when we do the event. If there's a chance, we might do a run down it. Yeah. But uh, it's larching hard right now. 
red, yellow, a lot of yellows. Wow. It's only like two, three weeks a year that it looks like this. So I got to drive from Missoula basically to Calgary completely through the Kootenai Mountains and the Montana Mountains and then the Rocky Mountains. It was a pretty amazing drive home. I mean, right from Missoula to till like just past Camor. The last 45 minutes you're in the plains, and other than that, I was in the mountains the entire time. Yeah. No, but Eureka is on 93, though. That's what I was saying. Like, it goes up. 93 goes down into the Yeah, south. and then so 93 yeah. cuts over. Yeah, yeah. Then you have to get back on number three. Number yeah, three yeah. for a while. Yeah. Well, it was beautiful. Yeah. I was hunting turkeys with John. I don't know. I don't think John listens to the show. But uh, we became fast friends for sure. Shout out to John. I won't give his last name on the show, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's always like a weed smoker that I end up, you know, that's how I met Oliver. These guys that smoke too much weed to be cooped up in the van all day. They see my truck. They see what I'm up to. And then we ended up doing all the hunting. Just attract, attract the chronics. Hunting turkeys. I posted the picture on Instagram of up on the top of that mountain in Montana. It's fucking phenomenal. Like, I don't have a spot here where I can get a view like that. We have prettier mountains in a lot of ways, like, because they're rocky, and yeah. uh, that's why they're called the Rockies. But yeah. when you're, like, up on the top like that, and you can just see that valley and, like, just mountain peaks everywhere, that's, that's pretty. I mean, I guess I could do that if I climbed a mountain, but I haven't been on one that's, like, been taller than that like the rest dude i drove right to that my truck i, I took it could have took that picture out my fucking windshield well you took me and me and uh, uh, me and kevin up to that place yeah it's still not the top though you know yeah it's most yeah. of the way but it's not the top you still like you're up there but you're at the top of the very first mountain range so when you look the one way it's just you're seeing the foothills down into the plains and when you look west, everything's taller than you. Yeah. So don't get that view. But I've seen a ton of turkeys. I still have turkey tags. So that's exciting. It was very. But you didn't, you didn't get a shoot? You didn't shoot a turkey? Or? I shot a, at a lot of turkeys, but I missed them. What? Really? My best chances were in Idaho. And I had like some really good chances. I missed by like three feet, dude. I don't know. So I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't know if my rest got fucked up or my sight got fucked up, but I had to re like sight in my because it was way out. And then by the time I got it fixed, it was just we were out of time. We didn't see them. Trying to see them, you see a lot of turkeys in some spots. You probably shouldn't shoot them. And uh, you know, it's not like in Alberta where you're just gonna get slapped on the wrist. You might get shot in the fucking face. (laughs) So uh, you know, I did. Got a lot. I got some shots off. I had fun, and I might go back down yet. I got the tags, and I got a hunting license in Idaho and a hunting license in Montana now, and uh, and tags. So I think they're good till the end of November. You need a tag, even though you're an Indian. I think I do. Yeah, it seems weird. I thought you were like good for North America. No, I wouldn't say. I don't know how the rules work down there, but it don't seem right to wheel into another country and start shooting their animals without tagging them properly. Your your ancestors were had the whole country. Yeah, that's not, you know, because the Indians own a lot. I mean, that whole flathead fucking valley, three-quarters of that's owned by the Indians. They got a weird system going on where the whites are all living in there with them and running businesses. So I don't know how that works. I guess maybe they're paying taxes to res. 
That seems like a, not a bad system. I'd like to learn more about it. Oh, that's why, should, make, yeah. why make these res? If I want to make the reservations here in Canada, the reserves in Canada bigger, but why not make it so that anyone can live there if they want to live under those sets of laws and pay taxes? Well, that's why, dude. It's, it would go. It would be creating a separate society under something going on in Canada. that Flathead Valley. I'd like to know more about it because even Polson's, like you were in Polson, dude. That's smack dead in the center of that fucking Flathead Reserve. Reservation in the states. Well, and there was something about about uh, you had to be careful driving through there. Like, remember Bradley was saying, like, there's you you, you you know you can't just drive around through there without getting permission. Yeah, well, that definitely that, and it's big. But there's like we go through Polson; it's not an Indian reserve, but it is on the reserve. Right. Well, something's going on there. Some sort of system that. Warrants further investigation. Oh, yeah, if for sure. About it, let me know. I'd like to know more. Yeah. Because so, uh, I'm, you know, always looking for ways the Canadian system could go. How do we get out of this? How do we get out of the Indian Act in a way that makes sense? And that seems like one of them. So how was the trip? I mean, you, the, my favorite part about all these trips is the people that go on them. It was a pretty good yeah, group. Great group. Great group. Yeah, everyone, uh, you know, it always starts out a little weird, but it was fantastic. Group. It was Randall. Good. Randall's great. He's getting better. I swear he's getting younger. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, awesome. Uh, everyone had a good time. Everyone seemed happy. That again, that Cherry's barbecue. If you're ever in Polson, we drove out of the way to get it this time because everyone liked it so much last time. And again, it, it was like fucking. There was not one scrap of food left. And I got that. I got an extra twenty five percent. I got for 66 people and it was fucking gone. It's so weird, dude. The, the time that last time I did it, there was so much food left over that people weren't eating. There were a lot of sliders left over. We must have had a, a fucking hundred sliders left over. But uh, other than that, everything went pretty well. From Everything was, I mean, we'll see when the review things come back. What, what happened in that hotel? Anyways, can we talk about that? Yeah, they were cunts. I mean, pardon my French. I don't know what else to say. I mean, because I started getting messages and calls from you, and I just had to call you and make apparent right away that nobody in the group was being a dick, you know? I mean, I wasn't up all night. There was probably some things said that could have come off as dickish. Well, when I got the call but that... they that, were being cunts from the second... Well, that's... So this is, this is the weird part about it, right? I got the call that, you know, they were being disrespected, right? Somebody was disrespecting... You know yeah, me, bro. I, I'm a sweetheart. What I need and right to. when I heard that, I'm like, what does that mean? What do you mean disrespected? Well, you know, I'm a sweetheart when I need to be in a situation. And I rolled up to that front desk being nice. You know, I'm like about to check in with 50 fucking people. You got to be nice. You're like on the charms turned up. It's like, hey, the professional, how's it going? But I was wearing my don't uh, tread on me hat <laughs> and a camo sweater. <laughs> And uh, this bitch just starts giving me this vocal fry. Uh, and I'm like, uh, okay, give me everyone's room key. And she's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. So she won't give me the room keys. And she's like, I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, I'm going to ID everyone and give them the room keys myself. And I'm like, ID them. Like, I could have just made these fucking names up, lady. You have no fucking clue who these people are. Now, you're, you know what I mean? Like, why are my fucking guests showing ID for rooms that are booked on my fucking credit card? 
Yeah, yeah. They need to have ID for everyone that's in the hotel, probably, right? I don't know. But no one else made us do that. Everyone else, I showed up. They gave me the fucking keys. That was the end of it. And it's so much easier to check people in. Oh, and yeah. Just hand them a card. in I mean, our own time. We're not all lined up at the front desk when oh. like other regular people are trying to check in. Oh, my God. So just right away, she's the, no, I'm doing it. And then I look over at like Buddy and he's just like rolling his eyes. Well, you know what? What if they want to check us out and like to check out who are these people? And now Randall Carlson, who's this guy? He's a denier. He's well, a climate change denier. Everyone, who's yeah. these Grimerica guys? Oh, my God. They're anti-jab and they're anti- they went that far but they were fucking retards man it was just the two broads but everyone else was cool but like then i tried i was like well i need to i need a room because i didn't want to go to the airbnb that night it was my last night and i was going hunt in the morning and i was just like i'm just gonna get a room here you know get me in a room she's like "Ah, i can't do that you got your, your blocks closed so and i was like that's fine i don't need the special rate just add a regular room She's like, okay, well, that'll be, and it was a fucking crazy price. I swear, like, it was like a hundred bucks more than we were paying for the other rooms. <laughs> and then I'm like, all right, well, just, just add it to the bill. And so she's you like, can tell oh. right away, then where yeah. is this flexibility? Where's the customer service? Like here, we'll open up your block for you and give you an extra room. And at this I mean, point, we've already given them five grand, right? Or six grand as a deposit. And I'm like, okay, well, just give us another fucking room. Give me another room, regular price. Don't care. All right, well, I need your credit card i'm like what just add it to the card on you've got our card on file the company card no can't do that unless i talk to the lady whose name it's in i was like that's fine i'll call her right now oh no the sales department's closed so oh my god tomorrow and i'm like well i need a room See, dude, it was all your it was well, all- then i need your credit card and then this other broad i guess was fighting with someone else and Kyle was pissed off. And well, you said that at one point you can tell they were kind of shaking or something. They were like, they, they, well, oh, they, yeah. They, I, I don't think they knew how to deal with the group. What? She came and kicked everyone out of the breakfast area. She was like convulsing, you know, like you could tell she was like, it was like a big deal for her. She was like, how is this like a, a hate crime or like she was in a fist fight, you know, like those emotions are through the fucking roof. And it's like, what's going on, lady? Like, just tell us to go to the conference room or we don't have to fight about this. But she can hear what everyone's talking about, you know. What was everybody talking about? Like it. Well, you know what everyone's talking about: climate change bullshit, vaccines are bull. You know all the <laughs> shit that you might not want to hear. <laughs> and they're like, "Who is this group? Who is this group of people? Where are they coming from?" So they almost kicked us out. Like they threatened to kick us out multiple times. We had to kiss a bunch of ass. Well, not really. I mean, we yeah. I don't know. They they did say, let's have a fresh start. I hope you guys have a good night tonight and let's put all that behind us. And they did. It's that one broad's a total cunt. And we had a couple people on the trip that were like platinum members at that chain who called and raised some hell too. I'm oh, not, that could they, be why then. That could be what happened. That too. could be why they said, let's have a new start. Like, because yeah, they I, probably called and said, when, you know, look, no one's crazy here. We've been, we spend, you know, I don't know their story, but they were. VIP members of that chain of hotels. So. Oh, yeah, because I was shocked. I, I get the call, and, you know, I'm working, and I get this call, and they're like, yeah, well, we're having a problem with your group, and the, the, some guy has disrespected, disrespected me, and, like, we tried to get them to move, and, and he says, I'm in the middle of my story, and I'm like, what is this all about? <laughs> like, what is going on? I go, 
sorry, this group, like usually it's totally fine. There's no, it's not like they're out to party, but then of course you guys did party the night before. So that didn't help either. Yeah. When I went to bed, they were still like jamming in the basement. It was loud. I could hear it in my room. No, I was like, they're going to get in trouble. (laughs) And it seemed like they were in the pool a lot later than they were supposed to be too, but you know, whatever. No one's wasted. Yeah, it wasn't like out of control. Like everyone's wasted and out of control. People have a couple of drinks and are playing yeah. music and have a good time. No one's like, you know, drunk or, you know, it's just yeah, yeah. super chill. Yeah. It's so. like the lamest fucking party, you know, from from like our partying days, we would be like, what the oh. fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> shot, shot, shot. Yeah. Anyway. So, so let's, I mean, people I are probably going to. No problem. No problem at the border? No fucking problem. I got search quick going down. It was about... Uh, oh, you got search going down. Minutes, yeah, which I have been every time. So what did he say? He said, is this your white Dodge? I said, yep. He's like, all right, I'll get you out of here pretty quick. And what, what went, was... He didn't even open the box or look in the tunnel cover or lift up my back seat or nothing. I think they're just like on camera that they have to go look at the, my truck. So you're yeah, still flagged going American down there? Search me every time too. They've just been way nicer and way quicker about it. Like who the Americans? Yeah. Yeah. Super quick every time. They probably think it's crazy. No one's bringing. Oh no, someone's bringing a gun into America. Um. <laughs> so they barely they barely search at all, unless they're just trying to get me to get complacent. It must I'm be not, weird not, for them. So. thousands are pouring over the southern border at record numbers yeah so and then on the way back buddy was like uh what do you got i told him and uh i gave him my treaty card and he asked, he's like uh my fingers are lazy you have a passport because then i could just scan it and i was like whatever here i was like he's gonna tell you to search me though and he was like why so i gave him a quick rundown of the story and he was just like i'm gonna save us both some time have a nice day. Wow. So can can you just, just for people that maybe haven't heard the whole story, I mean, what did you tell them? Like why well, I, I asked, I asked about buying, bringing a gun back from the States to Canada. Yeah. And ever since then, you guys have been freaking the fuck out. <laughs> it's not like you got caught trying to smuggle something. You're asking yeah. about how to buy a gun in America and bring it back legally into Canada. So I think it might be winding down too. I mean, the last guy I was fighting with at the border alluded to that it was going to be over by the end of the year. So I don't know if it's like a scale where, you know, I don't know. Yeah. What the fuck. But I was happy because, you know, I had a lot of drive ahead of me and I had already been driving a long way. It's really like halfway, you know, or not even it was, it's only three and a half hours, three hours to the border. And then you go well, that way, that way it's hours. less than halfway. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a lot of drive. So I don't want to sit. The only shitty thing was I was saving a shit for the border. I was going to go in the one bathroom. I stopped. I was like, now nah, wait for the border. I'll have time to kill anyway. And, uh, then I didn't. So I had to hold it till I got home. It's quite uncomfortable. It's hard to even pee when you have to poo. Anyway, I was happy it didn't take long, but it was too bad because then I don't want to stop and go to the bathroom. I just want to get the fuck out of there, you know? Yeah. He lets me through. I'm fucking gone. 
but it was good. I had a good trip, and I brought, I even brought back bullets. So you're allowed to do that. I'm allowed to bring up to five thousand rounds. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I think if they were all for the same caliber, they might start asking questions. But they were pretty good. I have to say, it was a pleasant border. The whole uh, crossing was pleasant enough that I'm thinking about going back because I still got turkey tags and yeah. stuff. So yeah. I was thinking about just going and ripping around, you know, yeah. for a long weekend with the missus trying to fill them turkey tags. Yeah, you love Montana, right? That's one of your, you've been raving Idaho, about it. Idaho Panhandle, too, is fucking amazing. Yeah. But Montana's the best. Anyway, what else you got? Well, I mean, I, I mean, since we're talking about Randall and our trip with Randall, I mean, I do want to say that, like, because I've been sort of updating people on this whole uh, Malcolm Bendall technology, this sort of clean technology that's based on ancient wisdom and sacred geometry, based on a lot of Randall's work, too. <clears throat> it has been getting some, you know, they've, they've gone through the testing of these things at the Tesla tech conference. Uh, it is starting to get some attention. People are starting to do like analysis of it and uh, reviews of it and, you know, re sort of wording some of Malcolm's stuff. And Randall was just on, I mean, this is, this video is getting passed around like sort of the people that are paying attention to this stuff. He was on a show called Danny Jones and it taught, he was talking about, this uh, plasmoid technology could have been used by ancient cultures. He talks about the story about JRE episode that was silenced, the plasmid vacuum bubbles, uh, the first build out of a plasmid, this plasmid engine, uh, the, the vortex tube, which is basically turned into the thunderstorm generator. That's the heart of the heart of the whole technology, how this attack will affect the world. Uh, the Vajra, the plasma powered cat generator, chimneys and coal stacks. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, this is good. It's been, it's been getting some attention recently and uh, kind of the proof is in the pudding type thing. And it looks like it's happening. And also Alchemical Science, that YouTube channel uh, has been doing uh, great, great descriptions of Malcolm. Like he's obviously into al alchemy, alchemical science. He's a self-taught farmer, electrical engineer. And where's the uh, arrow? How come I can't? How come I can't see more of that? Oh, and physicist who conducts open source research in the areas of unified field theory, soil science, plant biology, radiant energy, neuroscience, and the energy systems of the human body. He's also a practicing alchemist, so he tries to employ this research methodology that is informed and directed by the idea that there is a universal pattern that can be observed in all aspects of the natural world. His research is fully open source, and no new ideas expressed in my video can be patented. So he, he looks at like, New science and ancient science, kind of. And this guy has done a great job at describing what's going on with Malcolm's work. The transmutation of the molecules and the thunderstorm generator and all that. Like, it's really just good to hear it from a different perspective. Somebody that sort of is paying attention and, and also believes that in the potential of this, you know, because Malcolm can only describe it and he's kind of got his way of describing it. And I don't think it's, I, sometimes I think he kind of goes around the, the bend all a little bit, you know, around the bend. Ha. There you go. Did you mean to do that? Yes. Yeah. boy. Well done. Well, I might have to listen to that. Yeah. Check it out. Our chemical science. So he's got like, he's got a playlist of actually, that's probably a pretty good way to do it. Uh, the Malcolm Bendall, Plasmoid unification, and it's a whole playlist there. 
Welcome to Alchemical Science. I'm Jordan, an open source researcher who investigates science that's generally very old, very new, or very esoteric. Did you hear that? Yes. Yeah. There you so have it. Yeah. You have a bio for uh, for Michael? Yeah. A short one. Because he's got a really long one. He's been doing stuff like in this in this thing like we talked about before for decades. His uh, website is talkingplants.org. Um, he is uh, on Instagram as The Ghost Dance. His book is called The Ghost Dance. I'm looking for the subtitle of his book. Let's see if I can find it here. Um, Ghost Dance Revival Tour. So the ghost dance, an untold history of the Americas. This ghost dance goes back like uh, nine nine thousand years or something. He's a legendary explorer, an entheogen expert, a plant whisperer, ethno ethnobotanist, musician, author, and ghost dancer. There you have it. This is a good one. A great interview. Seems like a great guy. I'd love to get to know him a little better. Hopefully, you guys will too. You can start with this interview. Enjoy the chat with uh, Michael. What's his middle name? Ani? Michael Stuart. Ani? Stuart Ani. Stuart Ani. Is Ani his last name? Ani. A N I. Stuart his last name. I don't think it's Ani. It's like Ani. Ani. Is that Annie. like a, like a Mister or? No, no, I don't think so. Oh. All right, guys, enjoy the chat with Michael Stewart Ani. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Um, this is uh, this is going to be great. I want to give a big shout out to Ronnie Pontiac first of all, who uh, suggested that we connect. And uh, yeah, this will this will be interesting. Um, do you want to do you want to give us a bit of a like sort of an overview of, of who you are and stuff, and uh, how you kind of came to where you are right now? We, we can keep it kind of quick uh, and short because yeah. there's lots of stuff to get into. But but the general thing is, um, I'm maybe last man standing or very close to it. I'm one of the very few people who actually had presidential permission to live with uncontacted tribes. And so I had the opportunity to not only live in those cultures for very extended periods of time, but I got to take part in ceremonies and all that were completely unaffected by the outside world. The people, Many of the people I were with we weren't even sure the people who were coming in were human. 
they and many times I thought they were actually big maggots, right? That came in on a helicopter, which was a dragonfly that laid the maggots, right? So because of that, I have a very different understanding of psychotropic plants and drugs and the cultures of the people. And my two basic areas are the um, Amazon basin, and I still do have a ranch in Oaxaca, Mexico, where in the area where the mushroom religion, the only place in the world it really survived in any form. So that's kind of my background. I started out um, on legal age in the Mazatec, and as I got older, I ended up in the Amazon. That's where I learned how to survive in the rainforest. Wow, and and you're and there's there's actually a surviving mushroom religion. Well, yes, you know, um, many people know about Maria Sabina and Julieta, and they live in Wotla, which is kind of the city almost of the Masateca. Back in the day, it was 12, 14 hours for me to get to Wotla. And in Wotla, people say a lot that, oh, no, nobody knows. That's why we're making it up, because nobody knows the religion. Yes, in Wotla, there it's been turned into Catholicism since the French came with Napoleon II. But in the old country back where I was, when I was young, it was very much intact still, the pre-Columbian beef system. And it's not the mushroom that's being heralded here in the United States. It's a completely different mushroom from the ones that are documented here. And the common name for it there is Dishito. Is it still psilocybin? No, it is not a psilocybin mushroom, though there is some debate because the people who have pushed that agenda like to claim it, but they've never seen these mushrooms. They have no idea of them. I was the I am still the only outsider that was ever allowed in the forest there to pick the mushrooms and be part of the ceremonies. And the people there are very aggressive. Any and that's why probably the mushroom picked them. Because any outsiders that would come in the area and push themselves, they'd kill. Wow. What's the difference between the psilocybin and that kind of that kind of mushroom? Um, in a general sense, the psilocybin mushroom, it, that's why we have the, um, what do you call it, the um, self-improvement, self-work movement. It's about you, the history. Like I hear people speak, suppose you have knowledge and say, well, you know, it all starts in our mind. It's all about us. It's what our mind's amazing, and it uses these chemical compounds. But they love to say that because by saying that, that removes the indigenous people. And if they didn't keep this knowledge alive for thousands of years, me or no one else would know about it. But you make it into chemicals, and they don't count anymore. And so it takes away the spiritual, money. Takes yeah. away the spiritual aspect, it seems, too. Exactly. And so... These things, you have actual visions. You see actual, I mean, I could see you sitting there, Graham, as you're sitting there. You know, you, it's not this fluttery, bubbly, blah, blah, blah. That's psilocybin, and it's great, but this is something different. Yeah. It's an actual vision versus a hallucination or something. Recording some in progress. Sorry about that. I interrupted you. I do want to record the video just in case. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> So <laughs> it's only our 650th episode, Michael. We'll figure it out eventually. Graham's a straight man here. <laughs> Just in case. So, I mean, does it, 
does it open up? Do you think that opens up doors? Does it give you sort of a, a like a sense into, you know, you can see through dimensions and see different things, like different aspects of reality that you just can't normally see, do you think? I, I could put it more exact than that. For me, the psychedelic movement has been frozen in, and you see it in the art. You know, since the 60s, it's been that colors dripping, geometric forms melting, morphing into each other. That's what the true talking plants use to keep the uninitiated away. Wow. That's the carnival of colors. You have to go past that. And if you go into that world past that, it's an actual realm that um, an interesting factor of it that happened with me with the with the Mazatec people and why they let me in is there's road signs, there's things in that world. And um, and unless you were there, you wouldn't know them. And everybody, if you went there and I went there 10 years apart, we'd both know the same road signs. It's yeah. a place. And we, in general, we haven't gotten past that. Now the people more or less trying to control psychedelic want us to stay there because to do that, you can make it into a commodity, something you can sell and make money at, at truly a journey into the soul and beyond the soul into, I would say, the world of the dead, the world of plants. Wow. Um, hard to sell. So, I mean, that's we're kind of caught in a bit of a conundrum here because in some ways it's good that it's becoming sort of legalized and people are accepting it as a as a therapy, as a real sort of uh, help for people. But on the other hand, we, like you said, we don't want it controlled and commoditized. And, and, it, and you're almost limiting, limiting the potential, I think, as well. Very much. And that's a thing I'm very afraid of because people don't realize the psychedelic movement was sold as starting in the 60s in the United States. I'm in my 70s. I was part of that time. No, it actually started in the 20s in Germany. They had synthesized mescaline, I believe, in 1897. And excuse me, they had discovered it in 1897. And in 1919, they had synthesized it. So by 1920, Hermann Hess, many of the founders of the Nazi party, um, Guido von Liszt, um, um, Karl Haschofer, the Dietrich Erhardt, um, they were all taking lots of psychedelics then. And, and there was a lot of new age. There was a lot of new belief system. People were losing our time in history. So they were going to modern times very quickly with the airplane and this. So um, there was a movement to go back to the past. And that's why they went to King Cut's tomb and Matsu Picchu. We were trying to pick up the pieces before they were gone. And as that evolved in a in a very awakening movement, um, it turned into fascism and Nazism. And I believe what they're trying to do is exactly what Aldous Huxley and Julian Huxley, the lead biologist in England at the time, I was very close friends, and I'm in his book um, before he died, Francis Huxley. So I heard these stories right from the horse's mouth. And there's a 1937 film with the Huxleys saying, we must give major doses in these refined psychedelics to only 
Anglo elite academics and financial people. And the other people should be more or less microdosed and to be happy, happy idiots being their slaves, basically. And that's more or less what I see they're trying to sell now. So I'm fearful of it. Yes. Wow. And for me, the big point is this is we are so removed from nature right now that nature's not in trouble, but the human niche is in terrible trouble and all the other animals in it. And these plants done correctly with the true rituals, not made up rituals, real the real thing that's been tested for thousands of years and all, can build that bridge of communication, which we desperately need. And unless we have people who can do that and use those plants, we will not connect with nature. And all these other uses of psychedelics will have no meaning because we'll all be dead. I, I don't know how to ask this question because it's it's a bit vague in my mind, but you really, I mean, I was just listening to to a show that wasn't about this in general, but it really wrapped up like UFOs and the psychedelics and the Nazis and the and project, obviously mm -hmm. paperclip and MK Ultra too, like bringing over, like there wasn't just the Nazis, that was the American government was also using psychedelics and some mind control experiments way, way back, like before. I'm very familiar with that. Sort, sort, sort of people realized it. And so how much did, I don't, I don't even know where the question is in there, but I feel like it has something to do with the way we're treated in this modern society now, because it opened up doors. I think it, I think it, they learned so much about it that they realized that, wow, these humans actually have powers that, that they don't want people. They don't want us to realize how much power we have spiritually. <laughs> psychedelically and they just sort of you know started sort of the fear porn propaganda i i don't know if you have anything to add to that but i feel like maybe that's why the 60s maybe why that's why they sort of recreated the whole the whole psychedelic movement i, I don't know well two two points what a funny point you know i've spoken with the people from john hopkins who are doing the research some of them and all and they love to say, you know, Timothy Lear and those people, they let the genie out of the bottle. But now with us, and we have real psychonauts, you know, we're keeping the genie in the bottle. And I got to laugh. Haven't you ever heard of uh, Mala Palooza and Genie in the Bottle and, and Bernie Man? People are doing 50 different psychedelics and drugs a day. The genie is so far out of the bottle. It's just a silly rap. On the other side, what were you were getting at first is in the 1930s, it is a fact they know the name of the two Nazis that were in Wotla collecting information. It was a man named Rico and a man named Weislanda. And they were very much part of the Nazi thing to go around the world and collect all this mystical information. The United States government got very scared about that. And they originally sent a wonderful Richard Evans Schultes from Harvard over there to see. And he did not get along with them very well. But when they got there in the mid-30s, there was already an evangelical preacher there, Eunice Pike, who was there who believed that, um, that these mushrooms were literally the penis of the devil and they were going to be used. So believe it or not, this wild story you started with actually historically took place. There was this real battle in Wotla for who was going to gain the knowledge. The amazing part was the true mushroom and the native people there never gave up anything. So these people went like we're doing now and said, well, 
we can invent everything. And if we sound convincing, it'll become the truth. But that's an illusion and a hallucination in itself. Just because you believe it and say it like you believe it does not make it true. So how does the talking plants fit into this? Like, what do they think about about their substances being used and synthesized into something to to uh, change the behavior of of humans and and not a natural way? And do you know what I mean? Like, it, yes, um, the plants themselves, and because they're talking plants, it's one of the things I explain to people. You get a lot of people now and say, "Oh, I'm a shaman," or "I'm a this." Well. Going to a ayahuasca camp in Peru and reading a couple books and getting stoned a lot does not make you they have no idea what a real medicine person is in the tribe. It's a completely different animal than that. And the plants very much are aware, but they you got to remember, they're not humans, so they don't relate in linear time. Plus, the key why there's been so much misunderstanding is it took me 37 years to learn the language of Dishitu. It took me 18 years to learn the language of Iowaka. Um, you know, these, these plants have their language. And if you don't know that their tonalism and their way, you're not communicating. You're just running around in your own head. Once you learn their language, they will speak to you very directly about things they have told me many things. There is no way I could have known them in my perimeters. And 30 years later, they came out to the name of the person in the place exactly like they would told me. And what they're part of, why, as in the theory with the Nazis and all, that there's been this agenda going on for a long time to control it. Well, the Native people have had their thing too, and so have the plants. And that's why the ghost dance came into being, because in the ghost dance original ritual, it's right in the codices, they show it, that Dishito was born from the semen of the plume serpent, Quetzalcoatl, when he evolved in the underworld from the young god Ijotl and became the plume serpent. So it's very much, and the ghost dance was a ritual that was the beginning of civilization. It was about corn and creating civilization. But from that point on, they knew back then, and it's written, you know, people say, well, where do you get this? You know, you make this up like us. No, I read um, codexes. I read hieroglyphics, and it's right there. I read it with H.B. Nicholson, the grandmaster of them. It's right there. They just don't know how to read them, and they never lived with these people. That's what's kind of created me. I can read hieroglyphics. I've lived for an insane amount of time with uncontacted naked tribes. So I wouldn't say I was in the Stone Age, even though they had no metal tools when I was there. But it was really the thing. So I understood how the rituals were before they were bastardized. And between knowing that and talking with the plants and reading hieroglyphics, I was able to put together the pieces of the story that I talk about. Which is, and which is, which is, is it the steps of the ghost dance? It, it is the steps of the ghost dance. You jump me there, Greg. That's exactly it. It's the steps of the ghost dance. Because the big misconception that people make with the ghost dance, which I've gone through some conflict recently, because most historians believe the ghost dance was a dance that came up with the Paiute through the Tokibo to his son, Wavoka, 
and it never existed until a, a failed childish revival movement in the late 1800s, early 1880s, 1890 when it ended. But actually, there's a great deal of proof, which I can document, that takes the ritual way back to pre-Clement times. It wasn't a silly made-up thing. That's a, what I call, I call it enlightenment. The belief that the more you act white, the more knowledge you have. Yeah. It's not reality. These rituals went back a real long time, and they are part of an ancient lineage, and right in the codexes, in the Codex Borsia, and in the Codex Mistecas, they point out clearly that we're in the fifth world now, which will be the world that can possibly be destroyed by human beings themselves. And the ritual is actually created to ready all those hidden people for the events taking place now. We're in their own way, and myself included, are really fighting for humanity's niche in nature because I believe it's in peril and they all believe it's in peril. And I've learned this from the plants. Wow. When this so-called revival happened in the late 1800s, did it get squashed with, with, with other sort of Native American rituals? And I know in Canada they had a, some banning on like potlatches and certain spiritual practices. Uh, yeah. Was it was it like was it similar to that in the in America? No, far, far worse. Um Dave Sitting Bull at the time, who was a true medicine man, the Hong Papa Sitting Bull, he was the most famous celebrity in the world at the time through Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And Sitting Bull said that I'm a member of the Lakota Ghost Lodge um, and I believe in the spirits and all, but I don't believe some white man's circle dance is going to bring back our dead relatives rising up through the earth. And what happened, why the ritual did not work, was it was so bastardized and changed. The Shakers had been with the um, Paiute for a few years by the time, and all that falling on the ground and shaking and all, that's the Shaker religion. That's not it. It was a Shaker round dance. So by the time it got to those people, even Wavoka claimed he was the native Jesus Christ, right? Um, it was very much embedded in it. And what happened was when it got to the Lakota, the Lakota were trying to make a revival because they were in the worst shape. They were all dying of diseases and locked up in pig pens and the worst. So they rallied their thing. And a woman who's the wife of the um, mission officer, excuse me, the reservation officer, who was um, in control of the food and was stealing all the food for the Indians, everything, just Har McLaughlin, his name was. Not him, but his wife invented this whole thing that it was a ritual about the men getting sexually crazy and wanting to rape white women. Well, at that time in history, and I know old people from, I, you know, when I was a kid, I know people who fought at the Little Bighorn, you know, believe it or not, they were still alive at that time. And they looked as white women as kind of dead fish. They weren't excited by them. It wasn't their people. So that was just made up. And they sent specifically the seven cavalry in, which was Custer's cavalry, to go and murder the sitting bull. They murdered him. They made it illegal to go stance. And then that maybe five, six days, a week before Christmas, 
his cousin, um, Bigfoot, was coming in from the Badlands and they wanted a ghost dance where Crazy Horse's heart was buried at the um at the um at the wounded knee. And um and the military encircled him and murdered all the women and children and everything. And that was the end of it. Wavok continued to live because Wavok was adopted by a white rancher and he spoke fluent English, could read English, had a life and all. But that was the end of the ghost dance. And Mooney, James Mooney from the Smithsonian, saw it as a dying people's ignorant attempt to bring back a lost culture. But my point is he was ignorant because he didn't know these people that and that it was a long lineage, this dance. It is actually documented that the first time the ghost dance was danced on U.S. soil in the United States was in 1680 by Pope in the Pueblo Revolt. And you can and how I realized the dance had gone all through the Americas was when the 80s, when I was fighting an epidemic among the Yanomami in the Alto Orinoco, a woman died on a beach. She collapsed. And there were so many people dying around us that the wonderful doctors I had with me, I was the head scout for it. They were like, Miguel, you can't keep going. We're going to lose kids. We got to go. Two hours later, she stood up and started dancing and singing. And when she stood up, she washed herself in soil, just like Leonard and Henry Crow Dog did. And it was the Crow Dogs who brought the ghost dance to the Lakota. I knew I knew the Crow Dogs very well. And then I know their ghost dance song. And she started singing in Yanomami, Yapuiwe Sharikateri, bring back our arrows to us. Now, when the United States government heard the Lakota sing those exact words, they said, aha, it's a violent revolt. Well, the Lakota weren't stupid. They were gonna, they weren't gonna go up against gatley guns with bows and arrows. They knew that in their culture, give us back a sharika, give us back our arrow means give us back our manhood, give us back our man. Because in indigenous culture, all elements of nature either have a feminine quality or a masculine quality, including the talking plants. Darren, do you have anything you want to ask or add? When you integrated into those cultures, did you have any grasp on the language already? Like, what was that? That what was that integration like? How can you kind of take us through that first day? How does that go? You know, you leave this place and you end up in that place. How does that happen? Good, good thing. First thing was, and I got a lot of trouble for this at one point because my technique I invented was, I would go to the closest town near the region I was going, and I would go to the bordello. And I'd ask the madam there, do you have any girl from the Huniqui, the Pierroa, whatever tribe it was? And they always did. And I'd say, you know, I'm cool and all. I just want to talk with her. I want to learn. And so I would do this. Some people saw that as not such a good way, but that's what I did. And basically what I learned was the key to my thing was, Probably the real biggest indifference between I can only speak of American indigenous people and Westerners is if you broke your bow and arrow 
and you're like, God, I can't eat. You wouldn't go to the bow and arrow store or bow and arrows on the web, nor would you make it because there's probably a much better bow and arrow maker than you there. You would speak to the hikora, the shapuri, and you go, shapuri, you know, I can't feed my family. I don't have a bow. But you're a very good bow maker, Darren. So you're walking down the path and you run into Graham, who's the best bow maker around. You just made a brand new bow. And by happenstance, he goes, God, Darren, I really need that bow. Hey, I really need that bow. Well, Westerners say, well, that's happenstance, coincidence. But the strange thing about paradigms of culture is when you live in that culture, that kind of happenstance happens many times a day. It really exists. We are convinced to believe that our paradigm, which underneath it all really is, Whoever gets the most weapons and is the most vicious wins and gets the most toys. That's our basic paradigm. They have a different, there are many paradigms in the world. Ours is not the only one. We've been convinced we are. And now the people who are saying they're becoming the new psychedelic elite, they're trying to say they're going to translate that to us. No mommy's way. <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. I was kind of going to ask something similar about the the seeing these cultures that haven't really been contacted and the rituals and the ceremonies they do like a lot of that gets sort of blamed on superstition now e even from spiritual people there's they still think a lot of it was superstitious but in your sense that was it was it working for them for the most part well in our culture we say it's superstitious because we kicked your ass and we won so you're an idiot you know that's the basic to you know, to make it simple I'm a superstitious person, superstitions everywhere. But I say to you, without a question of a doubt, I've seen true medicine people, true paichi, true wichikorakas, do things that science could not explain in any way. I've seen curings. I've seen many things. And bringing it back to Darren's question is, what I did was, when I first got there, these people will kill you. They're not welcoming you in. There's a ceremony called the Mawa you have to do so they don't kill you. And you literally stand with your weapon and you gaze up in the air and you don't flinch, right? Um, and what I learned because of that was they would never trust me unless I took their talking plants and commune with their ancestors. So until I could commune with their ancestors, um, and learn the ceremonies. They didn't let me in. <laughs> um, and and that was it. And how I did that was for me the simple way, because I'm a language guy. I just like to be with the people. I like to play around with them. I like to talk. I like to play with the kids. And you can pick up the basic 50 words of any language fairly quickly. And that's what I originally did. And then when I first mimicked the rituals and kind of gave them a great joy laughter of me doing their rituals and them going, whoa, you know, um, after a while, I got very good at it. And that's why when the epidemics happened and the Venezuelan government said to me, it's impossible to do anything. It's like wrangling chickens. One of the people there said, well, this guy's lived with them a lot. He's got a whole different relation. And I went out there and in their terms and language, I explained to them in their terms that a virus is a type of hikora. And once I did it in their term, they said, we got it. 
They understood it completely. My joke was always, there are no stupid native people in the Amazon. If you're indigenous in the Amazon, you're dumb, you're dead. You got to be super smart every day just to survive. So did you did you actually have to get like approval from the ancestors? Did they did they go in their ceremony then and, and make sure that like you were sort of you know past the past the test from them? No one would trust me until I did that. There was couldn't do anything until I did that. Oh no, I my thing that's very different is a little bit later than me, but a lot of semi-known people came, went down to the jungles, Mexico, South America, came back to the United States two weeks later and like, oh, I'm so amazing that the people thought I was the great white God and they told me their secrets. Poor horse pucky. Um, these people will not tell you a word of the truth for two, three years. They're not giving, they know, they keep their cards tight, these people. So, I had to be there a very long time to get in. And being there a long time, I married into tribes. I was part of stuff. I did a lot to help them. And really how I got my presidential permission was Carlos Andres Perez, the president of Venezuela at the time, he did a TV show when the epidemic started and he flew over the jungle tribes in a remote, supposedly uncontacted area in a helicopter and they were they were all yelling the Yanomami were yelling, you know, on um Mikey Mikey Napi Napasike Burkachapuri Jukopspori. And he says, What are they yelling? And the pilot said, They're talking about Mikey. You want to meet Mikey? So it was them who cried out to the universe and said, He's the one guy we've known a long time that we trust. We don't trust any of you. And so that's what kind of put me in that position I got into. It wasn't that the government officials went, oh, he's good for us. It was there was so much of a cry out from the tribes that and they didn't kill me. That's why I'm here today. <laughs> and what, what epidemic was this? This was one like a few decades ago or? This, these were the epidemics of the 80, which were, which the ones in Brazil right now was Jair Bolsonaro, the ex-president was a repeat of the same thing. The Brazilian government, who, you know, now they have Lula who's fighting it, but in those eras was not backed by um, neo-Nazis. These were literally the sons of the boys of Brazil. These were Nazis. And they had a mass extermination because they found gold and uranium in the Eldorado in the Alto Orinoco. So they sent thousands of gold miners in, knowing they all had diseases and all, and they came into the region. And the main diseases they had was malaria, dengue fever, acosinosis, schizomaniosis, but also hepatitis C. And Delta, which is deadly C, became very prevalent because the gold miners they were stealing eight, 10-year-old little girls and prostituting them. And then when they were sick and burnt out, they just swelled to them, let them loose in the jungle, and they go right back to their tribe and get everybody sick. And this is part of their plan too. So yeah, it, it, what goes on at the edge of the world is not the story we're getting told here. And the interesting part is psychedelics is very much part of that and a big subject now. And people who are pushing for what I call colonial eugenics control of psychedelics, 
That's not where I'm coming from. I work with the National Congress. I am authorized by the National Congress of American Indians. And I believe that a intertribal, inter-American group of elder female elders, grandmothers, should be in charge of all psychedelic legalization and psychedelic distribution. And it should start with them getting the first medical assistance because I'm I live around reservations most of my life. And at this point, and I'm not exaggerating, I'd say almost 90% of all the kids under 21 are addicted to either fentanyl or meth at this point. It's that bad. So they're the ones who should get the help first, not people who want to get rich and buy the fanciest new Tesla, a car that destroys the environment almost worse than anything. So, so, so do you, do you suggest this intertribal female elder group would be in charge of this psychedelics for the whole country or just the, the, the uh, natives? No, for the whole country. Yeah. Because, because big pharma is already getting their teeth in there and in, in Canada, at least big pharma is already kind of getting their teeth in there too. In Canada. Well, yes and no. Big pharma. It plays out this way over and over. It's no mystery. Big pharma. People, there's a group of people now who believe that because they've taken tons of these drugs, that makes them entitled to make all the money from them. And they call themselves the leaders in the psycho, I call them psychonauts because I've met many of their top shamans and therapists, and I wouldn't give them a penny of value. It's just made up goobly gawk to play in that woo-woo world and be woo-woo. Don't go nowhere. Now, when you're talking about using synthetic pharmaceuticals for specifically diseases of civilization like fear of death, cancer, um, PTS, LSD, you know, all these type of things. Um, Yes, I think there's wonderful breakthroughs. And the fact is, if everybody ran out and got these plants, they'd go extinct in a year. So that's not an answer. But what my point is, without the proper rituals, done the proper way exactly exactly with these correct plants talking plants can establish communication with nature which is exactly what they were used for when i did ayahuasca for years i did it as you said to commune with the ancestors to figure out which way the game was moving in the wind until I came back to the United States and heard about, oh, I'm going to become a bodhisattva. Oh, I'm enlightened from, oh, I'm doing self-help. That's all invented here. That's not at all what those people use it for. So, and the other twist that's come is those plants languages are all in a tonal scale. And so you have to sing in their language. So I've gone to some of these very big organizations, events I've been invited, and it's a comedy routine. They're singing Kenny Loggins songs and this song their mother taught them. No. One of the ladies there said to me, she said, well, you live with the Lakota so much, you know, you just do what the Lakota guys do. I said, no, I'm singing in Yanomami, not Lakota. The truth is all the tribes know that tonal language. 
And the Lakota, the Yanomami, name them all. When they do their ceremonies, they don't do them in their language. There's another archaic language, which is much more tonal in this way. It's a tonal thing. If you're seeing Winnie the Pooh doesn't know what to do, the plants aren't hearing you. You're just so happy that you've come back in one piece from being stoned that you think you're enlightened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I really hope people will start to learn and, you know, kind of get on a better path with it that can really help the survival. I'm a great grandfather. I want the kids to live. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not that interested in getting a Tesla car. Where I live, it has no value at all. <laughs> we don't have any of that stuff that would support that. I'm assuming that there needs to be a proper sort of initiation or learning aspect without just people. Like it, it seems to me there's a bit of a danger with so many people just jumping right into it. Well, the danger is this, and I've seen it over and over, and this is my problem. Good people, good people. So many people already, we all have a certain amount of mental illness at different times in our life, and it becomes more acute, more aggravated in certain people. So they self-medicate because the pharmaceutical system is not working for them at all because the pharmaceutical system is created to make money, not to work for them. They they try to keep people in the same sickness going on and on and new medicines for that, new medicines make money. That's why I'm afraid of that system, of that stuff. But you can get down into the inner self and even people alone can start out themselves and try these things and search for themselves. But what I've seen happen over and over is on Saturday, they hold a shamini meeting and the lead shaman, and you always know them because they have some silly outfit or a man bun or something to give them away. And they go, it is, this is sacred because everything I do is sacred because I'm sacred. And I'm like, who told you that? Your mommy? That isn't the definition of sacred. So they do the ceremonies. They come down. By Sunday, they believe they're a bodhisattva. By Monday, they're searching for enlightenment. By Tuesday, the egg's starting to crack. By Wednesday, they're questioning themselves. By Thursday and Friday, they're either manic depressant or suicidal or schizophrenic disorder or whatever they have, the situation. And then they take self-medicate the next weekend Seeing ba 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 ba, you know their thing, and they go in. The, I know people that have been in cycle for years, and I will say to you, they have damage from that. They are not better for it. They're hurt for it. And I think these things are so important, so sacred, so medically important on every level that I just pray that what happened with cannabis does not happen with this. Where all the medical, think about it. Remember all the giant breakthroughs? I was on the program that worked with kids with grand small seizures, and we had unbelievable miracles happen. Have you even heard about any of that in regular people for a long time? It all became commercial and hot that tastes like children's cereals, where they say it <laughs> doesn't have chemicals, but it has more chemicals in it than you can count, you know. And psychedelics are more dangerous. Think of how powerful they are to the human brain. You know, the, some of these people said to me, well, we've had it worked out with our psychonauts that people don't have bad trips anymore. 
Is that insane? There's tons of bad trips all the time. Nobody has fixed that. You know, they think that you could take Prozac and Valium with it and it will remove the side effects. So it's a better experience. Our scientists have figured out all you're doing is removing the last little hair, tiny piece of true spirituality. All those things your body goes through in the ritual. If you do it in the real setting, you realize that's all tied into nature. You are not participating if your body is not going through that. You're supposed to be throwing up. When you throw up from this year to those things, that's literally expelling purge, that. Purging, right? You're, I mean, yeah, you're purging. It's a purging. Yeah. Yes. Darren? Yeah, there's an argument for all of that because I remember, and I mean, it's sort of analogous to the other stuff where some there has to be some caution or some barriers, even, you know, I don't know how to put them up because I'm a freedom guy at the end of the day. I want people to have as much personal sovereignty as they can. And I mean, I remember we had Connor Habib on a while ago and we actually went to see his thing down in Lethbridge and he was telling us, and we got to be careful with all this sex stuff because any sort of affront on that is gonna is just gonna hurt sexuality in the long run and blah blah blah. And here we are three years later and they're fucking turning kids gay and cutting off their tits and turning <laughs> their arms into dicks. And I'm like, well, what the fuck, Connor? You know, he I don't talk to him anymore. I'm not on Twitter. That was the only place we conversed. And I, I think he might even block me by the end. But it's like, you know, this is the we fucking that was the other side of the letting the sexuality just go wide open. Now it's fucking out of control and it's into the kids and it's all over the place. The same thing can happen with psychedelics. I don't know what to say that there. Cause I and think those two, those, funny but are, true. those two together could be even worse. I think it's extremely dangerous. And as I pointed out, that is exactly the combination that was used in Berlin to bring on the thousand rays of light of the next Reich, you know? So there's a history of that being problematic. And I couldn't agree with you more. We've come to a time, you know, it's an interesting thing. A friend of mine here said to me, he said, it's kind of the left went so left, they become right. And the right's gone so right. It's now talking left agendas. And I don't know where, yeah, I was never part of any of that. I'm not a political guy that way. So you know, I'm like, wow, but I couldn't agree with you more. We're in a very tricky time now, and people are selling agendas for specific reasons, and the media is so powerful that people don't even question. I'll give you the funniest example, and it's so mundane, but it shows the thing. There was a guy named Cristobal Colón, and they changed his name to Christopher Columbus, and he came to the Americas. And he met the native people and he thought he was in India. We all learned this in school and he called them Indians. Well, guess what? In 1492, there wasn't a country named India. It was called Hindustan. And the people were Hindustanis. And this whole Indian thing was made up be because a certain ethnic group wanted to use that as a control mechanism. The actual truth was when the Padres first came to the Americas, and they realized in Europe it was filth and disease and pandemics and people living in excrement, just a horror movie, really. They got here and everybody was robust and healthy. So the term they used was indios, in the image of Dios, in Spanish God. 
That was the name. Indians had nothing to do with it. There is no guy, Christopher Columbus. And I think 99% of the people in the United States believe that is a true story because academia has played its hand in making this very mythology that Don was talking about seem like it's true and real. And as I agree with him, there are certain lines, you know, change is great, but change just for the change of sake of change. That's what happened, what he's talking about. A lot of these people might have started smoking pot. They went to LSD. They went right to Coke. They went right to heroin. They went right to whatever drug of the month club was for the last 50 years. And now it's cool. I know many people in South America, very wealthy kids, sons of presidents, who used to be big club kids who sold MDA and ecstasy and nightclubs. And now they all claim to be shamans. You know, um, yeah, there's a great confusion. And I think Darren pointed out very well, slightly tongue in cheek, but very well. It's very dangerous and it could be very harmful to children. And this is an issue with me being a great grandpa. I'm curious about children health and children being good and children having a future. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Good good point. Darren, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I'm not convinced my audio is coming through to everyone. I mean, I think, no, I'm not going to add to that. I've probably, you know, got us kicked off YouTube again already. But uh, I'm not sure my audio is coming through, so I'm probably going to... It's coming through for me. It is me coming too. through for you, so I'm hoping it's getting to the recording. Yeah, I can see it on the... It doesn't seem thing. to be getting to the stream. Oh, you can? Okay, okay. No, I mean, you know... I don't know. It's fucked. It's, uh, I don't know how we put that genie back in the bottle, but mixing up with psychedelics can could pretty quickly turn into that brave new world. Well, that was, ex Aldous, you know, Francis was the nephew who ate the mescaline with him in the book. He's the guy, Francis. And Francis told me outright, they were all a bunch of fascist eugenicists. He he turned, he, Francis started Survival International as a way to fight against his uncle and his father. And once again, the point that Darren made, I too am a believer in freedom very deeply. I'm all about being free and feral. Um, I'm very much into that. And I very much believe that the none of these things should be illegal in that way. And people should not go to prison and suffer for working on their mind and all that way. And I very much believe in the free man. Let's face it, even if I didn't, it's been proving all these controls make the problem worse with illegal and don't make it better. So forget that. I believe in the freedom. But with freedom too, there's responsibility. And that's and that's and same with same with capitalism. I mean capitalism has a responsibility to maybe just keep its hands fucking off of certain things. I probably was doing, which it seemed to be doing just fine until the state got out of control. Because I, people like to yeah. bitch about capitalism. What we're living in now ain't fucking capitalism. It hasn't been capitalism for a long time. It's some sort of weird techno feudalism. I, I that's nicely put too. I I feel the same way, and I think that well, you know, the techno feudalism. The funny point to me is. There's only three things really in the environmental thing that people herald as successful. Wind turbines, these silly electric cars, and um, and solar panels, which I have. I'm off the grid more or less. You know, I use it. But the truth is we're pushing in the only future for these devices is lithium batteries now. 
And I've been to lithium mines and cobalt mines. It's more destructive than fracking. So in the end, it's these people giving us these phony environmental raps on the web that may be our very destruction. That's how confused, and it's confused, and it always comes to the big problem with confusion. Is it a conspiracy, or is it just fuck up and cover up? Exactly. Is it intentional, or is it incompetent? I mean, it's the and it's probably a mixture of the both. Yeah, you know. The, no, there's a name. Well, I mean, I'm lately. I think it's mostly incompetence with a bit of malice, sort of sprinkled in. It's not even like the malice that I want to run the world or I want to. It's I don't even know that that's there. It seems to be, and there is a bit of that. I'm not ruling it out, but it's mostly just lying in their pockets. And it seems, I mean, a lot of this can be attributed to not just incompetence, ignorance, not fucking paying attention taking the easy way out. I mean, there's a bunch of things compiled on each other that you just have to sprinkle in a little bit of malice to fuck it all up completely. I have a hard time believing that, you know, they're all fucked. It's hard to believe that, right? I have a hard time believing, not hard as you think, you know, but, you know, coin toss at least, that every Congress person and every senator and same with all the Canadian ones and all at the local level, that they're all fucked. But they're just all not doing their jobs. They're just so, so selfishly, you know, if you can count on humans for one thing, it's just be humans. I mean, it's easier to get over on people or sneaker, you know, all that stuff because no one's fucking paying attention. They're all, they got their own problems. They got the, and now these phones have just made, compounded that to the point that nobody knows what the fuck is going on outside of their fucking three foot radius, it seems like. And there's one underlying element that drives it, which actually, Fear can be a very positive thing. Fear isn't only negative, but let's be realistic. From politicians afraid, I would say what I believe, but if I do, I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to lose my million-dollar bonus, so I don't want to do that. Down to normal people who are very afraid underneath it. And that's why I believe in this new system of believing everybody's trying to be this kind of Wizard of Oz. Just think lovely thoughts. If you work on yourself and think lovely thoughts, everything's going to be positive energy. And you know, no, that's never worked in the history of the United States or the world. And if you do do that and get anywhere, they'll lock you in jail and shoot you. So that ain't it. So the bottom line is people are afraid. So in their minds, they invent these alternative ways so they can survive mentally and not short circuit. And I believe that's what we're growing a lot now. A lot of these fantasy belief systems, because the reality is so difficult and so fearful right now that without that, we couldn't function. So I feel for everyone. I'm not really passing judge. I I love all people. I mean, I don't care what you are. I just find the human species very fascinating. Like people said to me in the jungle, why didn't you get into the jaguars or the anacondas? The people is what really fascinated me. They were fascinating. They're wonderful. People are great. So I see it. And I want to say that sometimes people, many years ago, when I first came out of the jungle in the late 70s, I went to the World Bank, the Inter-American Bank, World Health. I spoke at all these places. And people used to call me the Duke of Doom because I'd be like, people, I'm out at the edge of the world. And it's unraveling out there. And they go, don't worry. The scientists said, don't worry. It'll be 300. It'll happen. But 300 years. Then they said 200 years. Then they said 100 years. Now, these are the same people who called everything wrong. Now they're saying it's going to happen tomorrow. 
right? And these are the same guys because they get paid. You cannot be a scientist unless you cop to it because it's those big people giving you money. And unless your theories and your research doesn't back their greed, you're not going to get any funding and any grants. So there is, it's a system, kind of a monster set up in this way. And I personally don't believe, I have no faith, as John Fireland there, the Lakota medicine man said to me long before I was legal age, he said, no politician or the scientists they pay to make their lives sound like truth are going to help us out of the trouble the Wasiku have gotten us into. Only the ghost dance can do that, but we have lost their steps. And that kind of sent me on my way in a crazy way. And I believe that. My faith is in Mother Nature. My faith is why we are still murdering the last uncontacted tribes on earth in the Havari and up in the Siapa and the Puropotaka, where there are still people like that who still know the ancient rituals and the use of plants. We're literally murdering off the very chance we have for our survival. And what's so fascinating to me is many of the environmental groups have gone into the more westernized villages, tried to change their culture to fit their their ideology. And so when I was just in Peru, many of the Machaginga boys and all are working on the road into the Javari to get in there. And I was like, how can you do that? And they said, listen, these outside environmental Amazonian groups and all, they've come here and destroyed our religion. They've turned our women against us. We just want to make money and move somewhere else and get some other women. It's horrible. <laughs> Why they go, oh, we're saving the Amazon. Let me tell you, what you've done ain't added up to a speck of shit on the monkey's ass. The Amazon is imploding into itself. You have saved nothing. That's just fairy tale woo-woo talk. What what about what are some of the solutions using sort of an indigenous environmentalism? My, here's the solution for me. Two things, very simple. First things, really setting up communications with a few people like me as a bridge to be able to get stuff from these people. Because these people are very afraid the world's falling apart, too. Don't kid yourself. They're aware of that in their own world. You know, they've had all these diseases. They've had sequia do all this horrible stuff to their children out in the jungle that they don't understand at all. They're aware something's going on. But the trick to the environment is so simple that that's why part of why we have the trouble. I've seen it over and over. You take a 10-year period and block off a barrier reef, block off Amazonia section, 10 years, unless there's forever chemicals in some form in there, Mother Nature will heal herself. She is amazing at that. She could, but we're poking, no, we got to invent this. No, we got to invent that. All these inventions are trillion dollar ideas so people can get super rich making believe they're environmentalists. That's all that it's about. They, they, they have not achieved zero, negative zero. But the problem is, where the environmental movement has gone is, well, we really like um, uh, clones. What are the things that fly around in the air? Drones? Drones. Satellites? No, the little things that people send around. Drones? What? Drones. 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 Yeah, thank you. Drones. So they go, oh, 
We're using our smart enlightenment to help the Indians. We're flying over their land and demarcating. Well, I know as a fact, if you don't have a physical form to protect those perimeters, they don't mean anything to illegal miners to go. They mean nothing. They're not existing in the jungle. It's a joke. Oh, give us more money for this. We're doing wonderful things. It's crazy for a guy like me to say, but I believe the military in the whole world, all of us, all the tribes, got to get into this battle to save the earth. And the military, instead of making fake wars and killing children, all these horrible things, they should be on the front line protecting each of these regions for 10 years, healing them up spot by spot, and we could reclaim our place on the earth again. That's Please. simple. Instead of blocking out the sun and cutting down trees and burying them in the ground? Yeah. Yeah. You know, all, all these things. Oh, we, we have to find the next lithium deposit. We have to find cobalt. We got to find uranium. Let it sit. We saw that with COVID. After like six months of COVID, all kinds of environmental systems started popping back. Even that, in a little bit of time, it's very possible. But you can't be a big money person doing that. You can't invent an app that'll make you a trillion dollars to do that. You got to do the hard work. And to me, that's the key to the ghost dance. Someone said to me the other day, even though I come from a different ethnic background, I'm not American Indian. And um, and they said, well, you can't talk about the ghost dance. I said, the key to the ghost dance is bringing all tribes together. So we bring all the tribes together and go, Oh, no, we can't have Irish people because they're not part of this tribe. Everybody's in. That's the beauty of the ghost dance. There is no tribe that is a white man's lie created by the Smithsonian that the that the Paiute, there is no Paiute that will tell you that's that's an knowledge, the Savio, that they own the ghost dance. Many different tribes ghost dance in their own unique way. They have their derivation of it. The ritual was first danced by two gods, the plume serpent and the Lord of the dead, to create civilization and protect us. It is purposely a ritual for all people. And here's the big mistake people make, is it's inherited the soil, not in the blood. It's what Mark Twain talked about, that wild and free spirit of the Americas that Mark Twain said, you know, everything good about the United States was what we stole from the Indians, right? It's inherited in the soil. It's not, well, I'm I'm related to the King of England, so I'm better than you, Graham. It's not that. It's the people and the soil that's inherited. And the other big mistake that's been made is that there's two famous ancient dances. There's the ancestor dance, which is literally contacting ancestors. They may be your antepasitos, your great-great-great-grandparents, or they may be ancestors from the region you live that have nothing to do with your bloodline, because this isn't bloodline. But the ghost dance does not dance with those spirits. It dances with the wild and free spirit, the Nagual, the totem spirit of the Americas is what you dance with. So people go to me, teach me the ghost dance. And I said, I can help you get closer to it, but I'm not Arthur Murray, and this ain't the Mambo. You know, this ain't, I'll teach you one, two, three, one, two, three. You've got to get in a place to those spirits and do that. But in our culture, what's happened is 
People think they can do that by taking one of these atheogenic plants 20 times and going, it's all about the love in this. No, that doesn't make you a medicine person. I'm sorry. That makes you someone who does that, you know? And so I see a hope in all this, but I will say here, I really believe on a big scale, I don't know of anyone, and I've been in the environmental movement a long time. I don't know anybody that's really doing anything that's working. All the ideas and what the government's saying, we're doing this and that, show me where it's worked. I lived in those places. This is empirical knowledge. I got it firsthand. I didn't read this in a book and read another old guy's book and then write another book about it. I was there. I've seen it. And this is what I see is going on. You can still see it with all the green shit. You know, the dams, the stupid dams and their windmills and their solar farms are fucking up more <laughs> landscape, you know, forever than oil or natural gas ever did. Because, you know, you go out to where the oil was, you know, back in the 80s and it's just grown over now. I mean, there's still wellheads there and then the antelope and the deer are right beside them. But they ain't going within a fucking mile of those windmills. The dams are killing the fish like crazy. You know, all this green shit has a, a crazy side effect. Uh, this has been great, Michael. Where can people find your stuff? Where can they follow you? Are you on any social media? Do you have a website? Where's the best yeah, I place? All, I got all you? that stuff. Uh, um, first, I always forget, so I'm going to plug my book, The Ghost Dance, An Untold History of the Americas. And it tells a lot of the story that we were talking about today and a lot about the different tribes and the origin, the 9,000-year lineage of the ghost dance. And you can get that on Amazon easily. And I am the ghost dance on Instagram. And I post sometimes. But to be honest, I've gotten... I'm not happy with those social media platforms. So because I got a reasonable amount of flowers and all, I like to talk to my friends and my peeps and all, but I'm fairly upset with the people who run those things. And I think they're, you know, kind of getting in the realm of what Don said. They're diabolically silly. I don't think they're even badasses. I think they're a bunch of lame, nasty, revenge of the nerd kind of guys, you know, that's why I go for fuck up and cover. I've met, you know, I've met a lot of big, powerful, you know, this is the, I'm not going to mention names, but we know who we are, and I've met them. They're the smartest person in the room. Not to me, they're not. They're kind of like rats who are good at stealing and manipulating the financial system and got lawyers that know how to cheat every angle. I don't consider that intelligence. I consider that strong personal survival techniques like a rat has. Um you know, so I ain't impressed. I've met a lot of those people, and I'm yet to be. I'm impressed by Jane Goodall. I'm very impressed by her. We're both come out of the Explorers Club, and old Jane's the real thing, you know. And you don't see her out here talking this stupid stuff because she's real, you know, and she really did something. And so, yeah, I'm on there. And I'm on a lecture tour at the end of um, October. I'll be in New York City. And um, and I, I, for me, I've been actually, the last three years, I've been almost exclusively in Latin America. And I just got back. So I'm starting, I've done like my first two things here. And I, we will be posting my tours. And I'm at Michael Stewart on me on the web. 
And my foundation, my old foundation is the Amazonia Foundation, which is a very famous foundation. And my new foundation is TalkingPlants.org. TalkingPlants.org, yeah. One quick question about Jane Goodall. What do you think about her her views on like depopulating and thinking that there should only be like 500 million people on the earth? Well, you know, I, I, you know, like I love Jane Goodall, but like everyone, I don't agree with her on everything. I have, I come from a marginal ethnic background myself. So I have a different look than her. She comes from Anglo-America. For me, what I see is if you look at the destruction on the earth, all those brown and black people who is all getting blamed and we got to teach them plan airhood and all this stuff. Believe it or not, they do probably 1% of the damage to the earth, even in their masses. 98% is done by 1% of the elite population. There you go. The story that, oh, we got to get rid of all those brownies, you know, to make this work is another bull story. It's not what's going on. And another thing to that is, before the missionary system, there was never overpopulation in that way, because in traditional Mesoamerican and all Pan-American tribes, the uncle is the father of the child, because the uncle grew up with the mother, it's her brother, and they're in the same village, and I may be the father, but I live in another village, and your uncle killed my father, and I got vendetta with you, so... When you have the guy there like that, greater care, they've watched the kids grow up. There's such a bond there. There's, the there's a male, male influence no matter what in a way, right? Exactly. The evangelists, especially missionaries, and there's a big tumult going on now in Uganda finding out they've been lying through their teeth and killing indigenous native people. They're like crazy. It just came out yesterday. It broke. They go around. I've seen them firsthand. And what they do is, they changed the system, kind of like what the environmental movement does now. They changed the system. So at the missions, women can cook, clean. They have jobs. The guy's got nothing to do. So they either start taking so many of these atheogens that it becomes a drug. Like people say to me, oh, when you were with the remote tribes, the medicine man must have taken stuff all the time every day. Not so. I found the people out there only in specific times and specific sicknesses do they do it. The closer they get to the mission, the more and more they do it, trying to reclaim what they're feeling they're missing. And I'll be clear about that. I like missionaries, especially with a little chopped onion and tomatoes. That's the way <laughs> I want my missionaries. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> This was been right, this has been a fun chat. It's been a good one. We'll have to do this again down the road. Yeah. And, uh, we wish you the best of luck on your book tour and come back to Grand America anytime. Thank you very much. And I hope you do invite me back soon. Ninaskata Chili, because the gods give to those who give to the gods. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great night, sir. And that was a chat with Michael Stewart. What'd you think, buddy? Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. I'm not. I don't know that my audio worked on the all the way. The people were saying it wasn't working. You guys are saying it was. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, wait. Hopefully, we have your audio in there somewhere. <laughs> the podcast will sound fine. I think. Hopefully. Uh, big thanks to Michael for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of those one percent who chooses to support us. Over at America.ca slash support is never more important to support the show. 
Uh, sign up for monthly or make a one-time donation today. Or then I check out our audiobooks, adultbrain.ca. It's a podcast. They're for sale. Whatever you want to do, you know, they're there. They're free. You can buy them, whatever you want to do. Uh, Grammarica Outlawed for the controversial stuff. Contact at the cabin for the trips. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I hear my soulmates whistling like a tea kettle, playing that seductive game, running through the meadow, amongst the flower petals, amongst the flower petals. She likes to swing on the swing set.